This podcast is presented by Rabbi Parrots Muchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rabbi Parrots podcast. We're here today to talk about consumption. We're going to talk about food consumption. Mm-hmm. There's all types of consumption out there. And essentially, part of your day-to-day life is consuming. But there is something to discuss about consumption, and that is you don't keep all you consume. Mm-hmm. There are many different ways to discharge of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not even the way you want it. And other times people take from you. You have to pay taxes on your income. Uh, you have to give back to the earth on what mm-hmm. you consume. So there's so much about consumption that includes how it relates to you and then from you goes back to the world. And then in addition to that, there's also the part of consumption that you're not just consuming exactly what you think you're consuming. You're consuming a lot more, a much bigger journey and a much bigger part Part of the universe is coming into you than just merely what you take in. For example, when you eat food, you may think you're just eating the food you're eating, but you're also eating the people who harvested the food, the trucks that brought you the food, the fuel the that animal. went into it, or the animal, the life force. Essentially, you are consuming the mission. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're consuming had a mission, and now it's yours. And whatever you wow. do with that, you are doing something with this. And I'll give you just a straight example. If you eat something and you consume the mission of that thing and then you just like sit back and do nothing, what happened to all that energy you consumed? What a wasted energy. A lot to talk about over here. And you're hearing in the background. Hey, hey, hey. This is Debbie. Debbie is a chef and a friend of ours and our community. And we met on a birthright trip. Yes, we did. Rabbi Peretz was the rabbi on the trip and he made it. So magnifique. Ah, well, and now he's my rabbi here. Well, in listen, Venice. at the time, I didn't even so know I was going to move here. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't know I would be here at the time. You Isn't know? it wild? It's wild. Life is wild. Or fantastic. Or amazing. And sometimes confusing, but yeah. we're working on it. Yeah. This is the idea. We're but, human. but today it's not confusing. Today I know why I'm here. I'm here yep. to hang out with mm-hmm. you and talk, talk about, about consumption. Yep. Mm-hmm. Talk about intake. Yep. And you as a chef and somebody who has a background and a family and a journey to get to where you are, I think has a lot to contribute to this conversation. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for having me. I'm excited. You told me podcast. your first podcast. Yes! Welcome to the I stratosphere. <laughs> <laughs> so you told me back in the day, that you were kosher even for a while. Yeah. So I grew up kosher. My mother is vegetarian. She When she was pregnant with me, she got really sick eating me, and the doctor, I guess her blood pressure got really high, and the doctor told her to not eat meat anymore. Wow. So she's been vegetarian for 28 years, but my sister, brother, and father would, you know, consume everything, but kosher. Yeah. Um, So you grew up in a kosher home. I grew up in a kosher home. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it was around nature a lot out here in the Palisades. Um, Are you still kosher? No. Tell me about this journey. Tell me me your relationship to kosher. So, you know, I was always very curious about creation. And what I mean by creation is, you know, we had a little garden, I remember, um, in my home. And I would, like, go out. And touch the lettuce every day and see like how much it would grow. And I was so fascinated by it. Uh, And the fact that I was able to actually eat this in a week when it was, you know, at its peak harvest was even more cool to me. And just, you know, um, 
con- conditioning it with a little bit of salt and olive oil and a little bit of vinegar. It's so simple, but it was so satiating because I got to see the process in which it was done. Mm. Um, and how did kosher fit into that? Well, co- how did that's interesting because it's going on in your house. You have this. You're growing stuff, but you're also kosher, like your family has a diet. Yeah, it, it for me kosher wasn't really like. An option, it was kind of, this is how it's done. Until mm-hmm. I became, I was like 13, 14, I realized I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to work with food and create stuff. Yeah, it just, you know, I was like, I remember becoming a chef and I said, well, I want to try shrimp. Shrimp was the first thing that crustaceans I was very curious about. And then it like kind of turned me off that it has this vein and, you know, it, it's a bottom feeder. And when I ate it, I was like, this tastes like plastic. I don't like it. Huh. I'm going to like not do this. I was still kosher with meat, but that was like the first introduction to not being kosher. And then um, I tried other things. And I remember when I had my first cheeseburger, I think it was like, 16 and it was in and out and from in and out I was always having just a bun with cheese, secret sauce, lettuce and tomato and onions because I love raw onions. Um and it wasn't very good and then when I had the cheeseburger I was like, "Oh, this makes me feel really weird. Like it didn't digest well with me. It just didn't work right." And then I thought back to like, "Oh, what does kosher mean?" Like what was I raised thinking that kosher is and consuming this and how like we're taking this animal in and it were it just I was confused. I didn't really have a um idea around it as much. I was figuring it out. And it just didn't make me feel good. My body didn't digest it well. And then a light bulb kind of went off like, uh-huh, maybe the scholars knew what they were talking about when they were writing about this. Meaning like you you have to do something with the consumption. So we think that that really just means like the discharge, you know, the part of food that we eat and then we have to discharge or the, or the, the, the toxins that our body has to deal with right. or even the vitamins that it needs to sort and absorb. Right. But the bigger thing is, is that it's really all consumption in this world of all types. You aren't the creator. You aren't the progenitor of vitality. And because of that, when you consume types of vitality in order to live, you don't just consume the energy that it has, you consume its existence. Right. And when you take an existence in, you now are responsible for what that existence means in this world. Mm. So when you eat something, if you then go out and don't act nicely or behave properly or do anything at all, you just like chill Netflix and chill after you eat, what is happening to that energy? Where is it going? So you could say, okay, there is a level where it's it's just I'm relaxed and I'm happy and satiated. That is the beginning of something good, but where do you take it with that? Where, where does, Do you call a friend and say, hey, I'm doing well, how are you? Do you open a door for somebody? I'm trying to make the case that in all consumption, we have to think about what we do immediately with this energy. The good news is you can always rectify it if you wake up like, wait, I ate this great meal last night and then I just went to bed. I should probably do something now like – You can always rectify this, but it's still an ongoing conversation internally that a person needs to have. Kosher is essentially does not allow you to put anything in your mouth without thinking about this journey. Mm. The blessing before it, Mm. the blessing being a meditation on where's this food from? What's it about? What's my connection to it? It's a lot of mindfulness. Yeah. So essentially it's mindful eating. Right. 
And I feel like there's so much value to what you just said. My relationship with that is when I became a butcher, I got after my trip to Israel. The vegetarian's daughter became a butcher. Yeah, the vegetarian's daughter became a butcher. (laughs) I uh, got a job at Belcampo here in Santa Monica, and they get whole animals that are harvested a week prior to when we get our, they would get their delivery. But what I started to learn is the relationship between animal, it, well, animal cons, what the animal consumes and then how we consume it. So that started to beca- become something that I was constantly thinking about because their practices are incredible. They have a farm out in uh, Mount Shasta up in Northern California. The, the animals graze on... California happy cows. California happy, happy cows. The, they're just very happy, and um, they're harvested w- humanely, which means they are slaughtered in a, to a degree where they don't feel any pain. And it's interesting because I found that, and this is a question for you, is what's the difference between kosher and harvesting humanely? Well, in kosher slaughtering of animals, for example, the it's not any rabbi who can slaughter an animal. It's somebody who goes through training and then is approved by the generation before slaughterer. They have Do to they be, have to be Jewish? They have to be – well, for, for kosher food, yes. yes, they have to be Jewish. And within that, they have to be an expert on the laws of animals, which include their anatomy and their health and everything about the animal itself. And so there is this, uh, we're talking 3,000 year tradition of slaughterer to slaughterer, you may say butcher to butcher, of somebody men, um, blending and connecting spiritual and physical practices as it relates to the harvesting of the animal. But what about the life of the animal? Are these animals consuming grass? Are they what are they consuming? How is their body taking in what they're eating? So then when we consume it, see, that's a whole, so then when we consume it, we're taking on that as well. So we're, we're talking about now a much more modern question, right? Right. Because now with this, the way we harvest animals now is such on a, such a grand scale mm-hmm. that the question now is like, all right, so you have these Jewish practices. There are these rabbis, these spiritual people right. who part of the practice is to wake up in the morning and pray first, mm-hmm. like cultivate sensitivity mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. you harvest an mm-hmm. animal, have the most incredible knives that are the sharpest of right. all time right. in the place that it should be the least amount of pain, all that stuff. Right. But it's such a holistic practice right. that that like when it comes down to it now, when you're like slaughtering unbelievable amounts all the time, how do you create this intention and in a strange way, I think so much of the slaughterer's job is now shared with the consumer. Mm. It used to be that guy's a holy guy. He slaughters my animals. And so everything he does, I know, came with this incredible spiritual intention. And he does the best where this animal didn't suffer and all that. And on top of that, I bring it in. It's already holiness coming into me. Right. But now there's so much consumerism and instant gratification in the society we live, there's so much of that going on. I think a big part of the conversations I'm having today is that kosher now is also about the way we see our consumption. Absolutely. And and, and 
not that that didn't matter, it always mattered, but you could rely on it being kosher. And when, because you're relying on it being kosher, you consume it. But today, you don't rely the same way. You go into America, every supermarket, everything has kosher symbols. It's like part of right. the business. It's a mm-hmm. billion dollar industry, kosher food. Really? So, I mean, there are people who'd rather buy kosher. There's another person who went and certified the factory. Mm-hmm, Somebody mm-hmm. went and actually looked right. at the factory. It's nice to have outside More validation. eyes. Right? But to me, the kosher industry has one significant issue is that they've become too big a business when they really should be an educational facility. I agree. They, they, they say they are, but like most people I know don't know anything about the symbols and the kosher elements. So their their education isn't doing as well. Right. And Understanding today, over judgment. Correct. And today it's very important because to keep kosher and to be inspired by kosher and to and to feel elevated by kosher and to see the incredible um the incredible burden of kosher is that everything i eat is part of a mission there's no there's no mindless consumption right. within it is such an incredible journey to be on that we need as much support and information and discussion around this to inspire this mm-hmm. and this is partly why i'm so into catering to my community's food needs mm-hmm. as best as i can mm-hmm. is because i believe that gives us a platform to discuss more and more spirituality. Yes. Take kosher, for example. I love that you love it as something that that inspires health, but in reality, that didn't keep you being kosher. No. And, no. and staying kosher. It, it, and and but imagine if every time you connected to kosher, you connected it as, oh, I'm actually, it's not just the physical energy I'm getting. I'm actually, this is a curated energy for me to maximize my potential. We'd be having a whole different conversation. Right. So there's no judgment on my part. Right. But there is this idea of like to elevate consumption to the next level is more than just what the animal ate and where it came from. It's also like, what am I doing with that energy? Then they really have a correlation. So you're saying that that uh, we want the animal to eat well. We want it to have a good life. We want to consume something holistic. Love that. But then you consume something holistic and then you're an, a schmuck to somebody. Right. Like, so what, what do what we, did we do? do with that? Being mindful so, throughout the entire right. the process. The entire process needs to have this type of energy for us to consume mindfully and more importantly, sustainably. Mm-hmm. That's the real. Yes, absolutely. I'm interested to hear about Logma. That's at the end of this. Tell me how oh, you got there. Yeah. Okay. okay? Um, and Logma is your brand for yes. your own curated events that you do. As yeah. A lot of it had to do, I think, you know, being from Los Angeles and being exposed to the farmer's market and organic ingredients. I've been blessed. I, I'd like to thank the universe for that, for putting me in that situation. Um, I think it was just something that, honestly, I've always had intuitively to be able to uh, to be able to um, connect with nature and understand where food comes from and trying to, as I got older and I'm a chef, trying to tell my story and finding my identity has kind of always been something that I've, that I'm like still seeking till this day. Um, Well, I think that you've, you've managed to, I think the reason why this is a loaded question for you is because from what I know, you are blending your Los Angeles existence with also your roots of where you're from and sort of bringing together the organic wholesomeness of what 
what you have available here with the traditional food that your parents right. and your ancestor did. You're from Iran and this yeah. this has a lot to do with it. So that's what I mean by like I see this this journey happening through you and every person deals with their journey, right. but you happen to be expressing it through food. And in Los Angeles, expressing something like that through food, you also have an opportunity to get the most incredible sourced right. goods what to work with. Right. And, and it was, it was and really yeah. nice when – my my whole business was inspired when we were in Israel, huh. and um, after I went to Turkey for a couple weeks, and I really connected to being Iranian. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to go back yet, and I hope to one day go. But uh, there was there was a lot of feels when I came back from that from that trip, and I and I really wanted to be able to tell my story and to have other people um, feel and taste the experience that I had. When I was there, um, and honestly, it was just about using the resources that I had out here in LA and being like, "Hey, you know what? For instance, um, someone that I look up to is Alice Waters in Berkeley at Chez Panisse. She uses the entire. I've done. I've been blessed to do a few stages up there, and the entire restaurant is ninety nine point eight percent organic. Um, and it's really about being mindful." for every action you do and like what you do with every step that you take. For instance, speaking about consumption um, and kind of giving back to the land and where we take from, compost, right? In LA, we don't compost, unfortunately. Up north is from your experience. Yeah, we compost uh, in San Francisco. We compost and it's like, well, we're taking from the land. We're taking and we're consuming. And then how are we going to give back, right? Like where does that... Where does that go? Where does that cycle end? Where does it start? And I think part of um, so that brought you the idea of like using everything, having right? The least so using of so waste. so something yeah, something that I do with my pop ups is we roast whole animals on an open fire, very primal. Yeah. Um, and I set up a Middle Eastern feast, primarily ingredients inspired by by the season um, and what I find at the Santa Monica Farmers Market and your Iranian heritage and my Iranian heritage. Okay which I'm starting to really, really cherish and love every day more than before. And um, I was almost embarrassed of being Iranian growing up in high school because I was made fun of for (laughs) being Iranian. And it was, and what it was it? Oh, your eyebrows are so thick. And you smell like curry. Well, first of all, now eyebrows are in fashion. They never heard of Frida Kahlo. And they never. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Wisdom is everything. And also, like, Iranians don't consume curry. And curry is delicious. So (laughs) what? But, you know, like, growing up and in in my adolescent years, when everything is being created and forming in my universe, I was kind of bullied through that. Um, and now having the courage to connect through my heritage with food, with integrity, um, and being mindful through every step is something that I would like to incorporate in my business one day well, and in my restaurant. That's amazing. I think there's some great retroactive healing with food. Oh, if, heal, as soon food as you, is so as soon as you tune food into is it. So healing. It's so like I. It, what do you define as holistic? Because for me, food, yes, consumption is. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> I, I, we could listen, talk about this for listen, so long. 
ultimately healing in its purest form covers all the bases, meaning you have processes that take many years and time and effort for you to heal from over the years Mm -hmm. that they don't happen at once. And in one sitting, just bits and pieces happen and you deal with. And especially if there's trauma or in your case, bullying, this, these are things that that the perspective, the healing, the comfort, the confidence, the growth, all right. those elements, right. they take time. And right. one of the reasons why I think food is a holistic way to heal is because, first of all, it goes actually the other direction a lot, right? People like use food for comfort and it doesn't go with with obesity or with making the wrong choices with food. But if done right, you can do an incredible amount of work with yourself. This year, I knew that I was going to have this incredibly challenging year. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I mean, challenges for the good. I'm, right. We're going to buy a building and raising a family and building Thank a God. community. And these are all incredibly divinely godly gifts that I get to work on. But incredible hard work. Right. Probably not going to get the most sleep I've ever gotten. <laughs> That's okay. And I just wanted to make sure that no matter what happened this year, I wasn't going to be filled with anxiety Mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to feel disappointed. Mm -hmm. I was going to have something that I could put my hat on and be like, you know what? This is going to work out. So I decided that it has to start from the ground up. And for me, the ground is the body. That's the ground up. And so this year, Rosh Hashanah, with the new year coming up, I took on a plan of changing radically my consumption. How so? I just, well, a friend of mine locally in the neighborhood helped me see a little deeper into food and what's behind it and how it would relate to me personally. Shout out to Jordan. And I took his advice and, and internalized what would be right for myself. And I settled on what essentially is a vegetable and protein diet. Paleo? Um, no, Ish. I wouldn't say that because I don't eat all vegetables and uh, and are not all protein, but basically it's a simple diet of protein and vegetables. Great. And um, and I kind of love it. I basically live with the You seasonal. feel good, right? Well, I feel great. I lost 30 pounds. I, it's done, it's done that job. But what it's done for me, more importantly, is allowed me to know that while my year is going ups and down da- up and down, I have I have not let that affect my physical rhythm as well. Mm. You, in the past, when I've gone up and down, so has my weight and so has my health. It goes up and down with the with what's happening. And do I felt like- Do you feel like, like, sorry to do you feel like that also affected you emotionally and mood-wise? Because food is- I was able to compensate with with working out but mm-hmm. and, and to keep my emotions balanced. But as time went on, there became less time to work out with I have six children. I have thank God, God. so many amazing people to be with yeah. all the time. Yeah. So working out became a much smaller part. Like maybe I'll get ten minutes in the morning. Yeah. Some calisthenics just right near my bed. Yeah. Right. Maybe. Yeah. But but it wasn't like a something I could take refuge in. But you eat regularly, and you could you could use that as well as the beginning process of growth. And especially when you eat kosher and you make a blessing and you're someone that likes to meditate on it, which I do. I love I love the intentional food eating. I've always loved that. Mm-hmm. By being able to take that to a whole new level of like every part of my food consumption now is part of like this experience of keeping my balance and helping me get through things while bringing me the nutrients and the energy that I need. And now constantly preaching for years about like when you have that energy, make sure you use it, right? So every time I eat, I try to do something consciously good to a child, to my wife, to the house, to just add value to the world because after all, I'm consuming from it. It has radically shifted the conversation around for me what kosher is. Kosher is a deeply nuanced 
path that God gave Jewish people of how to connect with their consumption. Mm -hmm. And if you're not Jewish, you may not have the kosher diet, but you have a heritage, you have a city you live in, Mm -hmm. you you still have a, a pathway to be inspired to look at what's available to you, what food is available to you, and how do I consume that energy? And that's what I mean by holistic, being able to have that wholesome plan of how you connect with the world. And that's, that's, that's the right way to consume. And for a Jewish person, maybe a little harder because kosher is a little more difficult. I do think so. But at the same time, in today's world, it's also the easiest it's ever been with the amount that's there. So hence the burden comes on us to really look at our consumption and, and, and analyze it deeply and not take it for granted. Yeah. I think that, um, just something that we were talking about a little earlier when I came, you know, you said being stagnant is not good. And I feel like being kosher or being challenged every day and thinking about what you're doing or what you're consuming and saying a prayer or meditating is and questioning yourself is good because you're stag. If you're uncomfortable, it means that you want to grow. And that's energy moving and things are happening. And I mean, if we're not, if we're not growing and we're not, constantly conscious and mindful of what we're doing, then what are we doing? Well, you're doing these logma, you know? whole animal fire things. How how have you been able to, like, what type of things do you tell people while you're doing that? They come and ask you, oh, why do you do this? Why are you inspired by this? Uh, where'd well, you get the uh, inspiration mm-hmm. from? My, the ba- honestly, my inspiration, it's funny because you say, uh, well, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I was working at Belcampo at the butcher shop and I saw a whole lamb that was fresh. The skin was just, it was still wet. And I, that was my meditation. I was like, God, thank you. Seriously, this is going to sound weird. Maybe not to you because you're a rabbi and you'll get it. Um, but I said, I, I remember thinking, God, thank you for giving me sight so I could see such a thing. Mm. And I'm going to be able to take a piece of this meat home and consume it. And just that 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 moment of mindfulness and like being conscious and 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 thinking about where I am and the situation that I'm in, I wanted to give that feeling to everybody. And I thought, well, we're visual beings, so what a better way than to set a beautiful fire with some local almond wood from California, slowly roast this animal. And actually have people see what they're eating in its entirety, right? And it's not like, you know, there's a lot of advocates out there like, eating meat is bad and it's not good for you and we're not meant to – the cycle of like it's – we should not be carnivores. I think yada, that's yada, a very yada. deep thing to like – and I, seeing what you consume versus like just the package that right. comes to you. And just it's not the piece, only about just seeing the, what you're consuming, but knowing, again, where it comes from mm-hmm. and what kind of life that that object, that, that food had before it came to us. You know, there's this um, custom before the high holidays where Jewish people uh, – swing a chicken around their head. Oh, you, hear, you hear that one? Oh, Kaparas, God. Right? A little controversial. People don't like it. There is one missing element to the conversation about it, Tell which me. really affected me as a child. And till today, it's why I do it with my children. Mm-mm. And it is 
at least once a year, they got to see that the chicken they're eating oh was God, living. Look at that. Yes. It was alive. Yes. It and makes it was, you and, and And it was from somewhere human. and came from something. So obviously what's out there, sometimes the Kapara's practices aren't so great, but it's not in the tradition, the the meaning because once again, it's part of the same overconsumption, overdone. We're making it easier for you, so we're putting chickens on trucks. That's not what we're going to talk about. No. But the ritual itself of going to a slaughterhouse, and they're they're killing the chickens, and you having to make a blessing, saying, "I see that there's life that I'm consuming for me to live," to me changed my whole perception of consumption. Going to visit a slaughterhouse when I was doing my rabbinical studies. I was in Minnesota and I went to this Iowa factory and became friends with the slaughterers and they let me see it, like changed the way I understand my animal consumption. Mm. There's no question about it. It affected me deeply till today. And I think people have to take responsibility for their consumption, no matter what type of consumer they are. I agree. And they need more people like yourself who are curating events for them I to think it's be a more human, connected to it. I think it's a human duty Hey, look, I'm a citizen of the, of this world. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's our responsibility as humans to know and educate where our food comes from. And this is interesting. I feel like if more people saw the killing of an animal or the harvesting of slaughter and killing is a little aggressive. So the harvesting of an animal, the more th- they will question things and and perhaps feel certain ways where they'll make more conscious decisions about what they eat and who they support. And hopefully, I mean, this is a dream, but to put out huge distributing um, farmers who treat animals poorly and have bad practices. And that's the goal, you know? And I mean- Preach. The proof is in numbers. <laughs> Listen, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, people are starting it's to want it. It's our responsibility to sure. do it and to turn a, your, your head, to turn a blind eye is just, I don't think it's a mitzvah. I don't know if people, you see, that's what, that's what I think we're getting to is like, I'm not sure how many people turn a blind eye. They just don't even see it. It doesn't even come up. True. You know, uh, this, I, it's this guy I, from years ago, we always used to say like, you know what the problem is in California? No one sees cemeteries anywhere. They're just like, they're, you don't they're see everywhere. Them. What do you, you mean? They're on the hills. You're in Westwood. You see them. You know, he's like, he's like, where I grew up, we saw them all the time. We knew life is short. And I was like, yeah, okay. But the point was, was that what you're seeing is an incredible power that, that initiates most of what happens within you. It's yeah. sight that really initiates this idea. Mm-hmm. So with the instant food consumption that we have and the great restaurant culture we have to see a budding culture that includes as much visualization to what the food represents and where it's from and giving you part of the story as much as possible has elevated people's consciousness to what they're consuming. But Mm -hmm. it's just the beginning. We need it on a much wider scale. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. And uh, anyways, this is just a a small tidbit of the type of conversations that you should have around the dinner table. Right. Know where your food comes from. Know where your food comes from. And, and, uh, And for the Jewish people out there, kosher, look at kosher as this incredible challenge to make sure that everything goes in your mouth. You know what it is. You can't get away with that. And then 
we have to talk next in part two. We'll talk about okay, why would the Torah want us to do it this way or yeah, that way? Or what's like the psychology behind it? We didn't really get into that because right now you could someone get back. Okay, good. I'll do all the mindful eating, but I don't need to do kosher. I could just commit to mindful eating and right. generally. Right. So why specific? Why does kosher say not that food and yes this food and just like I told you, kosher wasn't about health. The answer, spoiler alert, is not going to be kosher is about we don't eat predators or bottom feeders. That's just our sayings. There's a deeper connection to I our I want to know about that. And that we'll do on part two. Debbie, I hope you'll to come back for that. To be continued. I'm in. All right, done. Then we'll do that next. <laughs> Thanks for all for tuning in. Uh, drop us a rating and uh, and comments. And uh, feel free to ask for any topic at word at rabbiparrots.com. And thank you, Paladin Studios, for engineering. Thanks for having me. Aliyah